By the time I was 27, I was running an $800 million a year business. By the time I was 30, we were doing $1.9 billion. Only took me two years to lose every dollar I'd ever earned. The only way to know the edge is to go a little too far. And I look back, and I'm not proud of this, but I look back and I was so... Today on the show, we have a remarkable entrepreneur who started his journey in the grocery industry alongside his father, eventually building it into a multi-billion dollar empire. But when he realized it wasn't where he truly belonged, he took a massive leap of faith, unknowingly losing everything over the next 24 months. With less than $4,000 to his name, he ventured into real estate wholesaling, turning that small investment into over a million dollars in just 18 months. Today, he's dedicated to helping others accelerate their success through coaching, investing, and masterminds like The Boardroom, and his no-nonsense education and proven software business success, The Rue Academy. Please welcome to the show, my good friend, Kent Clothier. Welcome to the show, Kent. Thanks, brother. Glad it's, to be here. Dude, it's been such a fun experience getting to be friends with you for so long and now have you here in my studio dude, and getting to have you on this. This is amazing. So. I am so impressed, brother. Well, thank Congrats. you. Congrats. This looks, I mean, this is incredible. Thank you. Thank you. You've been one of the guests I've been waiting and waiting to get on because we've been friends since way before the current industries that I'm in. Right. Um, going back in, I think we met in 2011 or 12. I think 12. 2012. Yeah. So what are we, 11 years? 11 years. Dude, that's wild. It is wild. And just to see your growth from where, I mean, you've made so many massive pivots, but my favorite story and where I want to introduce our audience to is actually going back to, I think you were in 17 years old when you... Uh, we started in the grocery industry. Seventeen. Yep. I was seventeen. Yeah, I started my uh, started my first business with you know, right next to my father in uh, in the grocery industry. And what were you doing exactly in the grocery industry? So in the grocery industry, and you know this is this is as well. It's just thirty years later, thirty five years later. This is a lot more common than it was back then. But back then, uh, finding a product that a manufacturer was selling for a discount. And then turning around and buying it somewhere, uh, whether that was a grocery store or a distributor, wholesaler, whoever it was, and then turning around and effectively putting it on a truck, marking it up and shipping it somewhere else where it wasn't being sold at a discount. All of that was very uncommon back then. <laughs> Today, you know, people do this all the time where they go into, they go find something, you know, you're Gary, Gary V talking about it on going to garage sales and sell, yeah. selling stuff on eBay. Well, you know, that little arbitrage play. Uh, is a lot more common today. But back then, you know, this was pre-internet, pre-any kind of technology. So it was really hard uh, to find all this really stuff. Really hard to find it. And my father uh, was in the grocery industry. So I grew up in the grocery industry and noticed, um, we noticed that that a lot of items that are in a grocery store, you know, there's 45,000 items in a grocery store, that a lot of times when we were buying for our own grocery store, um, the manufacturers or the distributors were selling the exact same item at very different prices. To so different grocery stores or to inside us, the store? To us. So one company would be offering us a case of Maxwell House coffee for $45, and the guy right down the street would be trying to sell it to us for $80. And the reason why that was happening is that the manufacturers were offering some discount to this supplier, and they were just passing it on. And you know, kind of a light bulb went off because that happens every day is what happens if I just go buy it from this guy who wants to sell it to me for 45, I'll pay him 47. And then if I put it on a truck and go sell it to this guy that's trying to sell it to me at 80, I'll sell it to him at 60. And I wonder if we can make money. <laughs> and before you knew it, when I was 23, we were running a $50 million a year business. By the time I was 27, I was running an $800 million a year business. By the time I was 30, we were doing 1.9 billion. Um, Grew very quickly. That's $1.9 billion with a B. With a B. Seventh largest privately held company in the state of Florida at the time. But something happened. You decided it wasn't for you. Yeah, you know, um, when you're a young guy, you know, we're all just a product of our own experiences, right? And um, when you're very successful from 17 to 30, you don't have any, and you haven't really taken any of those hits yet in life. You just don't, I, I had no understanding of how unique my experience was because it was mine. And um, so I thought it was perfectly normal to be 
23 years old, making millions of dollars and um, living this big life. And I, I just, and again, wasn't like I was like the, like some of these clowns we see on social media. I mean, I was, I was running a business, right? So I was married, driven, hardcore, et cetera, but still very, very successful. And, but unknowingly, I was also extremely cocky, uh, meaning that all you had to do was ask me and I'd be all too happy to tell you why we were so successful. And it was all because of me, <laughs> right? <laughs> I had no problem. Um, and again, cause I just had no perception of true reality, right? Sure. My reality was my reality, but true reality was something quite different. And so, yeah, um, my business partners and I got in a, got into a, uh, heated discussion on March 14th of 2000. And in about three minutes, I decided I'm out and literally never thought about it one minute prior to that conversation. And, uh, just walked out of there and decided I was going to go start over. So heated conversation over a one, you have a $1.9 billion business. Correct. This must be more than a heated conversation. I mean, it couldn't just well, be. So there's the color to the story, all right, is that uh, when we were an $80 million company or an $87 million company operating in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, we sold our company to a much larger organization, right? And at the time they were doing. I don't know, three or 400 million. And those owners, two young guys that were both, both like 40 years old, basically came to me, this 23-year-old kid, and said, hey, we bought this company to get you and because we want you to come and run our company. And so I spent the next seven years helping them build that company. And Well, that must have know, been flattering at the time. Yeah. And I, well, you know what? Again, ironically, I didn't think it was a big deal. Now I, I you know, now that I've long past 40, I look back and I'm like, what in the heck were they thinking? Right. Um, but it seemed perfectly feasible and reasonable to me at the time for some reason. I have no idea. But, you know, taking a, a company like that, and again, from 300 to 500, 500 to 800, 800 to 1.8 billion, um, you know, it was an amazing time, amazing journey. But I, and I was making millions of dollars, but I didn't have ownership anymore because mm -hmm. I had sold it. And so um, at the end of that year, um, financials had just come out year in, audited financials. Here we are, the end of February, first part of March. And I'm seeing just how much more net profit these guys are putting in their pocket. And it is significant. And I basically walked in and said, listen, um, I'd love to be able to get some of my equity back, you know, 1%, 2%, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. I feel like I've kind of earned the right to have that conversation. And then it was, you know, looking back, it was completely cavalier. It was just meant nothing. But at the moment, it meant everything to me that the, uh, that was met with a, jeez, <laughs> must be kidding, right? Are you, are you serious? <laughs> and that just went immediately right through me. Mm-hmm. And again, young, cocky, brash. I was like, that was not the response I was looking for. Do you want me to resign? And he's like, absolutely not. What do you, you know what? Screw this. I'm, I'll resign. I'm out. See you. That's just like that. No, no, not, so, not, so, nothing. No, no context, no conversation, no. And did they throw everything at you, including the kitchen sink? Um, For about the first 48 hours, everybody was in shock and yeah. trying to uh, figure out how to put it all back together. Um, and again, you walked out and again, you made millions of dollars millions a year. We're dollars. not talking hundreds of thousands. I was again, and I look back and I'm not proud of this, but I look back and I was so, um, so cocky, so naive that I actually believed that I could go out and start another business in the same industry because I was the golden child of this industry, as you can imagine, right? Sure. This 30 year old kid that had helped build this empire. And immediately, the moment I walked out the door, I have every competitor, every bank, every everybody's trying to throw money at me to get you know. Let's go. Let's just do this with you now, right? So, when you look at it through all those lenses, I believed I could go start another company. I could go be up and running in a matter of a few months, and I would own the whole thing now. And it's always all that kind of got me into that headspace really fast, which none of it played out. Um, only took me two years to lose every dollar I'd ever earned, every dollar and completely financially ruined me. But do you think it didn't play out because the times were different? And so you had to, starting over is always, 
there's a first mover's advantage. There's an advantage of having, you know, validation in the marketplace. There's a there's a huge difference from even doing the same tactics that allowed you to be successful there. Starting over against basically what you built means your strategies aren't unique now because you're competing against yourself. Well, um, all that's true for sure. But the most, you know, the most, the single biggest reason that whole thing went down was because of me because I did start a competitor and did open up a, a warehouse facility and hired people and started a whole new business um, based out of Memphis now, moved back up there. And, but I had no appreciation for what I didn't know. <laughs> um, and certainly had nobody, when this is where partners come in, you know, very handy, is I had nobody there to check and balance me to where my pride was playing massive, was making big decisions for me. Um, I didn't like losing. I didn't want to lose. And so as, as me and my prior partners are suing each other and in litigation, going back and doing all this kind of stuff, all because of me um, and my decision, I just bled to death. Yep. And, you know, like the bad gambler sitting at the, at the blackjack table asking for another marker, another marker. And well, that was me with business, except it's real money, my money. And it was... $100,000 attorney's bills, another 200000 300000 every month. And then you look up and you're like, man, I, the, you know, the most valuable lesson through that little experience was understanding that, you know, litigation is rarely the route you want to go. And is anybody who goes down that route, um, it isn't about winning and losing. There's only one winner in litigation. It's and, the attorneys. And it's, well, I would argue, yeah, that's for sure. But it's <laughs> about who's going to cry uncle first. Of course. And, and I was just too foolish to, to cry. But I want to I go back to something you said because I think that is one of the most profound statements I've heard in a very long time. You had no appreciation for what you didn't know. Right. If everybody had a pause button and could go back and stop the world in that moment when they think that what they're doing is right and they lack that appreciation for what we don't know, right. trillions of dollars oh. are lost as a result of this. There's no doubt. There's no Re doubt. Marriages are broken as a result well, of this. Well, but I can also tell you, you know, all again, multiple things can be true at the same time. I, while that is true, the the reality of the situation is I would not be here talking to you if I had made a different decision. That's true. Because So when I look back at it, so my point being is like, for all the trillions that are lost, there's probably trillions that were made. Because I would not be who I am in business, in real estate, as a father, as a husband, and any of that stuff because I wasn't mentally uh, humble enough. I wasn't prepared enough. None of those things. Uh, I was a fraction of the guy that I am today. I didn't know that then. So I needed to be humiliated. Mm -hmm. I needed to be humbled. I needed to lose. I needed to get banged around. I needed to get uh, a really good understanding school of hard knocks of what it looks like to, you know, get your teeth knocked in and just maybe better. But I think what you're saying is is so true, especially of all high achievers, because if you really want to push your own personal envelope or the envelope in anything, the only way to know the edge is to go a little too far. Yeah. And sometimes when you go a little too far, it's a hard fall. Well, you know, I equate it to this, is that imagine, because I, you know, I, I talk to a lot of, I know you do as well. I talk to a lot of new entrepreneurs, a lot of people. Imagine if... You know, you went into anything. Well, let's just use like becoming a, a great MMA fighter. Um, if you were going to become a great MMA fighter and you knew like that in order for that to happen, one thing is for sure got to happen. I have to get in the ring and I have to get hit and I have to be prepared to get knocked out, choked out, bruised, bumped, bloody, all that stuff. Um, that just kind of comes with the territory. It is a complete expectation. And, it, and in doing that, I am perfectly pre prepared to learn the lessons by getting hit, mm -hmm. right? And I think, unfortunately, you know, what a lot of people do is they try to avoid um, pushing it a little too far because they don't want to get hit. And the reality, those are the best lessons in life, man. When you're, you, you'll figure stuff out real quick when you get hit and the only way to know that is to get in the ring and to play completely full out all the time, maximum effort. And then, yeah, and with a with a 
logical understanding that if I go this hard, this fast, then it's I'm probably going to run into a few walls. Sure. But that's okay, <laughs> right? I mean, and, it is okay. And it's important on that journey. Yeah, absolutely. It's the best. Um, you learn more from losses than from I wins. Mean, what's the alternative? I mean, if I if I went and listened to every podcast or read every book and watched every you know YouTube video out there about how to become a great fighter without ever stepping in the ring, I would sound like a moron. That uh, I, yeah, I know. I think I'm a great fighter now. <laughs> I haven't actually done it, but I think I'm. But I think a lot of people try to avoid the actual getting in the ring and more importantly getting in the ring and getting hit because and it sucks because it sucks it sucks it's not fun it's not fun but man it is so valuable it's yeah. also the the peak that makes ultimate success so much more valuable so much more desired because in order it's not available for everybody right it is available for everybody in concept the opportunity is the opportunity is available but most won't won't get in the ring and get hit no I mean, you can count on your competition's mediocrity. Correct. They, the vast majority of people are not cut out to be great. And it's unfortunate and because I believe everybody's got it in them, but they don't have an understanding of just how hard you've got to be willing to, to get hit. And they don't understand that, you know, I was telling somebody the other day that, um, you know, in all my years in business, I've definitely figured out that you you have to figure out what level of pain, you know, what level of trauma you're willing to fall in love with. <laughs> because if you don't love the pain and you don't love the trauma and you don't love the, the you know, getting knocked around, then, then you will stop. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that was, you know, again, that was probably the, the most valuable thing that happened to me. It needed to happen to me. I was, yeah. not, I was not mature enough, although I believed I was because I'd achieved a massive success most would never achieve in their entire lives. The reality of it was I just wasn't. I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to to um, be the guy I needed to be, and I needed to get humbled and knocked down and build it all back up in order to become the, you know, that evolution was necessary for me. And I'll be honest, I never knew that Kent. The Kent I've known for the last 11, 11 and a half years is one of the most successful, humble human beings I know. It's To me, it's one of your superpowers is that, you know, I've been to your house in La Jolla. It's one of the most gorgeous houses you can be at. I mean, your view is something that should be in a hotel. Right. Um, your businesses are all extremely successful. You have the uh, you have the track record and the back of the baseball card to walk with that air of superiority and believe it. The fact that you don't and you are as humble as you've been since the day I met you shows. I mean, that you've had that transformation. Yeah. And I, mean, I don't. I don't know. I the, I don't know. I don't know that. the early Kent. Maybe it'd be a different experience. Oh no! There's no doubt. <laughs> Maybe we wouldn't be friends that today. Guy, that guy was not somebody you would necessarily. I mean, that guy's still in there, but but that guy was just again, he was a kid. But that guy now is probably the one pushing the levers of confidence, 100%. courage, knowing the, in the back of your mind that hey, I have a formula. I will be successful regardless of how many times I get punched. Right, that's exactly right. And that's the key. That's it. Is yes, you're going to get punched. Yes, it's going to hurt. Yes, I have a high threshold for pain. But at the end, I'll still be standing yeah. and I'll I'll find a way. Yeah. I'll make a way. Yeah. And that's how you can lose a billion dollar a company that's worth one point nine billion dollars and lose hundreds of millions of dollars. Yep. And rebuild it all in such a short period of time. As an entrepreneur, I know how meaningful it is to invest in the people and causes that are close to me. And on GoFundMe, it's easy, safe, and powerful to do just that. Whether you're supporting a family member, friend, local business, or charity. And whenever you make a donation, you're protected by the GoFundMe giving guarantee. Visit GoFundMe.com today to help make a positive difference in your community. Hey, fitness fans, ready to crush your fitness goals? Make your move to EOS Fitness, where becoming a member starts at just $9.99 a month. Gyms are open 24-7 and packed with the latest gym equipment to keep your workouts fresh. What are you waiting for? Give them a call, drop by, or hit up jefffenster.com forward slash EOS to join. EOS Fitness. Better gym, better price. Now, let's get after those goals. So you're 27. 30 at that time. You're 30. Yep. You've just lost millions of dollars. Yep. Basically broke? Oh, for sure broke. Yeah. I mean. Literally wiped myself out. Again, back to the whole pride. Um, 
because when when I restarted the, or started the new business, um, rather than file for bankruptcy, like I should have, personally and professionally, just decided to wipe myself out, <laughs> pay all the creditors. Didn't want ever to be a black mark on my name, you know, from an integrity standpoint. And the entire system was designed to protect me, and yep. I just had too much pride to do it. And then, by the way, it wasn't just about doing the right thing. It was about pride. It was about I just didn't want to be seen as that guy. And unfortunately, you know, that took me down to where I had less than 10 grand in the bank. But I would argue it wasn't the right thing. It might have been the prideful thing. It might have made the be the feel-good thing. But the right thing to do for Kent and your business was to use the tools available to you, which is bankruptcy. Yeah. That was the right thing to oh, do. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's what it is designed for. Correct. But the, my pride would not allow that to happen, and that was a poor decision. I would be, It would have made a significant difference in my ability to move on. Instead, mm -hmm. I had to suffer through many more years than were necessary, but that's okay. You know, I don't look back on any of that. You know, if you had told me during that entire time that at some point in my life, I would look back on that time fondly and say, thank God that happened, I'd tell you you're crazy, right? <laughs> but, you know, that's actually the way it's Were it's you funny. married at that time? Uh, I wasn't. I'd recently gotten divorced when it all started, but then after I got out of the grocery industry, basically got my back up against the wall, lost everything, um, then started in real estate and then got married to SEMA uh, six months later. Okay. So when you were going through the dooms was doomsday, alone. you were all alone. Yeah. Solo man. Yeah. And it was bad. I mean, I, I, mean, I was suicidal. It, and I don't say that jokingly. It was my darkest, you know, really heavy, 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 heavy thoughts. And it was, I was in massive depression. I'd been at the very top of the mountain as high as you could, as anybody I knew in my world had gotten to at my age. And I, you know, wasn't good enough to lose every dollar. Well, I had to burn every relationship all the way down, right? So I'd been in this entire industry, every, every friend, all of my social circle, everybody was involved in this, in my business. And, you know, when you're working from six o'clock in the morning to eight o'clock at night, all your friends are in the business. Mm -hmm. And so by virtue of me suddenly uh, having this entire meltdown, my entire life was gone. Um, and so very traumatic. Um, what, when you go back to that time period, there, was there some event, something that changed your perspective and allowed you to start crawling out or was it just? No, actually, I would love to tell you, it would make for a better story. The reality of it was, is um, I, I knew I was in a really bad spot mentally and hurting um and somewhere and i wasn't relying on faith you know i've never been a particularly hardcore religious guy although i you know i do have faith I, so it wasn't like i was going to church i wasn't getting counseling it wasn't anything like that it was really just more about um refusing to play the victim and i just decided you know, every single day that I was going to try to move a little bit further, a little bit further, mm -hmm. a little bit further. And then um, one night, <clears throat> late night infomercial, talking about how you can go flip houses. Um, literally, I guess when you look back, it probably saved my life because uh, I was just desperate enough to go check it out and went down to an embassy suites in West Palm Beach, Florida. I'll never forget it. And, you know, they were talking about flipping houses with no money and no credit, which was perfect because I didn't have it either. <laughs> um, and I had made every bad financial decision for the last two years. So I didn't really trust myself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're asking for $1,000 for this program. And I was terrified to do that, put it on a credit card, uh, debit card at that because I didn't even have any credit cards anymore. But, you know. Desperate times call for desperate measures. I was just desperate enough to actually take action. Did you have any real estate knowledge at this moment? Zero. Had you ever owned your own house? I'd owned my house. But never anything houses, other yeah. than your own house. Right. I never had an investment property. And, you know, they introduced me to a concept called wholesaling, which a lot of people don't realize what that is. But if you think about um, <clears throat> the easiest example I can give of real estate wholesaling is that if, if I went today and I bought a lottery ticket, you know, at a convenience store here, and um, that ticket happened to win. Let's just say it won $30 million. They're going to pay me a million dollars a year for the next 30 years. Well, until I turn that ticket in, the ticket is the asset. 
right? So this is going in a safety deposit box. Yep. This is, I mean, I'm guarding this with my life, right? This is my ticket to, to $30 million. Um, and so then you've got companies that will come along and they will buy that annuity for you from you. And so they will literally come in and say, hey, that ticket is worth $30 million over the next, we'll wait. You don't have to wait. Um, we'll give you 15 million today, all cash, and we'll wait for the 30 million, right? Happens all the time. Uh, well, the same thing is true in real estate. So when I go put a property under contract, I may go find this amazing $2 million house. Um, and I don't have, let's just say, I don't have the 2 million. Couldn't get the bank financing, you know, all that. You know, I'm a 22 year old kid or something. Um, the moment I put it under contract, then, and the contract is now signed, the contract becomes the asset. Yep. And there are cash buyers, investors all over the country that will step in and literally buy your place in that contract. No different than the lottery ticket. So they will come in and say, Kent or Jeff, you've got a $2 million house under contract. We think it's going to be worth $3 million. Once we invest 250 grand and fix it up, we'll give you $50,000 right now for that. And I literally don't have to show up at the closing table. I don't have to do anything. I can just make a fee for being smart enough to get an asset under contract. So I'd never even heard of such a thing, but it rang pretty true with what I had been doing in groceries. It was, there was a mm. lot, there was a lot more similarities. They're arbitraging real estate yeah, now. Now. And so I gravitated to it real quick. Um, did my first deal, you know, in less than a month. How did you uh, find that first deal? Door knocking. Literally saw a house that was uh, vacant, knocked on the door. Nobody was there, left a post-it note on it. Somebody picked it up, called me, got it under contract. It was, wow. um, made eight grand on it. it cried like a baby. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I mean, I was, uh, I was kind of off to the races. I figured out that, oh man, I could actually make money and didn't need a lot of money to go make it happen. And, you know, my first. What do you do if no one buys it? Get under well, contract. When you put it under contract, you put it under a contract in what we call subject to a 14-day right to inspect. So the contract is contingent. That 14-day window is your breathing room to go find a buyer. And if you don't, well, the entire contract hinges on your right to inspect. So you simply, and that means nothing. That does not mean you send an inspector through it. It just means like, well, I looked at it online again and I've, I've had second thoughts. Mm -hmm. um, ideally, you know, if you're doing it correctly, um, and, and I'll tell you how, I, I did very well my first 18 months, right? Made a million dollars, 18 months cash. That's a lot of deals. Uh, it was 91 deals. Okay. 91 deals, average deals, like 10 or 12 grand. Um, but, you know, now I'm newly married and I now I'm about to have a new little girl on the way. And... I've figured out really quickly that I did not own a business, owned a job. And it's real simple to figure out if you own a business or a job, just don't show up. <laughs> and if the cash register stops, you know, the bank accounts go in the other direction, then you own a job because you must do something in order to get paid. When you own a business, whether you show up or not, you get to do things, you don't have to do things. So I definitely owned a job and I was making a lot of money, but it was all hinged on me. And I was like, I'm not. It's a grind, 91 you know, deals in a I'm year. I'm not, this is not what I want to be doing. And so I'm going to put all the systems and processes and leverage and people in place. And so I started doing that and kind of a light bulb went off. In the grocery industry, one of the things I had done was a concept called reverse wholesaling, which had basically taken us from 800 million to 1.8 billion in 30 months. And as crazy as this sounds, right, um, this was what this novel concept was. How about we go to all of our customers and ask them if I could sell you anything at any price, deliver it in any city on any day, what do you want to buy from me? And then work backwards, right? Do it in reverse. And so I was like, I wonder would that, if that would work in real estate. How about I go find who all the best buyers are? Who's paying cash in the markets? And so I was down in South Florida and went and I basically figured out a way that I could go down to the county clerk's office, look at all the transactions that happened the week before. You can do all this online now. You couldn't do it online back then. Um, but I would go and look at, okay, every time a piece of real estate is sold, there's a uh, deed of transfer. So the deed changes hands. 
If they used a mortgage or bank, then a lien is recorded at the same time. So if a deed is recorded, but there is no lien, there's only one way they bought that. That was cash. So process of elimination, I started figuring out who was all paying cash, started contacting them and said, if I could sell you anything in any neighborhood at any price, what do you want to buy? You're buying investment properties. Mm -hmm. How about I just start selling you stuff? And so to your point, is that I started working it backwards. And so every deal I was putting under contract, I already knew who I was selling it to. And so a business that was doing, you know, the better part of 60 or 70 houses a year, suddenly we blew it up doing three to 500 and started approaching a, a hustle back then and then turned it into a really, really big business. And that's ultimately kind of what put me on the map and then people started paying attention to what I was doing because I was one of the guys that kind of took um, a business mentality and applied it to an entrepreneur's hustle and turned it into a business. There's so much depth and richness to what you just illustrated. Um, I'm going to take a second. Just anyone listening to this, rewind the last four minutes and really listen to that because he just gave you a playbook to make millions of dollars in whatever vertical you're in. If you just understand exactly what Kent just you know, illustrated. And when we first met, your ability to build processes and develop systems, and it's what we talked about. Yeah. Day one. Yep, absolutely. I was a digital marketer back then. Yep. And we were playing in that space. Yep. Not real estate, none of the things I'm doing now. And that's what attracted me to your brain the first minute I ever met you. And I'm so glad you just brought that up because I just had a flashback. And I learned so much from you then about systems and processes and how important it is to turn your hustle into a business. And you can't be a hustler forever. Nope. Got to make the got to make the switch from hustler to CEO, and that's the great irony. Um, and it's a and it's a hard switch to make, by the way, uh, yeah. because the thing that got you here is the very thing that will actually, you know, we've all heard what gets you here won't get you there. Well, I will take it one step further. When you're moving from hustler to CEO, what got you here not only will it not get you there, it will prevent you from getting there because that hustler mentality is constantly, you know, it's what we've been rewarded for. Mm -hmm. My efforts created this. And then suddenly you're trying to turn your brain off to where your brain naturally wants to jump in and do it. Now, everybody get out of the way. I'll do the sales. I'll do this. I'll do that. You know, nobody's going to do this. And the reality of it is, is that as long as that hustler side of your brain has a seat at the table, you will never be a CEO. And you will never put the processes and the systems and the leverage and the team in place that ultimately will create financial freedom for you. And so you have to really embrace that as fat, and it, it will go directly against every instinct you've got. It is brutal. But when you get through it, it's how it's done. And I can attest from personal experience, I was a hustler when we met. Over the last 11 years, I have worked hard to become a CEO in my and own you've career. become the ultimate, brother. And I'll be honest, it is not easy. No. And it took a community and a group of my teammates to basically force me to do it because to let go. Yeah. When you know and you see something and you see the car about to hit a wall or a perceived wall, to not grab the reins. That's right. It's tough. It is tough. And it and it's um, but it is it's tough to understand that it is still progress. Mm -hmm. Right? That's that's what it is because we as entrepreneurs live in a very binary environment environment, meaning when I win, we make money. Or when I win, we achieve this. When I win, this is what we know what success is, right? It's black and white. Yep. And when you're putting, you know, when you're making that migration and that evolution, success is no longer measured that way. Success is measured, are we getting closer to where the win can happen without me? Yep. And that's progress. And that is really challenging to understand that it's still progress. And it's sustainable. Yeah. Progress. It's predictable. I mean, if you think about what, what, you really want in life when it comes to building a business. What you're, what most people are really after is, you know, I want to know that I want security. I want to know that all my fan, financial needs are taken care of. I want to be able to travel with my kids. I want to be able to do whatever I want to do whenever I want to, and not worry. Mm -hmm. And I want to know that that generationally, I've done something where I've created impact in the world, or I've taken care of multiple generations through my effort. I mean, that's what success really is. And none of that is possible. Zero of that is possible as long as you are constantly trading hours for dollars. And again, back to the, you know, the litmus test. If, if 
if you, I, I, I say this jokingly, but it is true. If you want to understand how vulnerable you really are, leave for two months <laughs> and don't tell anybody. And if you come back and there is more money in your bank account than when you left, then you are on the right path. Anything less than that, you own a job and you've got work to do. And then quickly your job becomes, I need to fire myself as often as I can. Where are the places where this whole thing is dependent upon me? And, and I think what happens is, again, especially for first-time CEOs, they um, unknowingly build the business to funnel all through them. So what they've done is just replace mm -hmm. one job with another, right? Well, I no longer have to do that, but in order for you to do that, you got to ask me about it, right? And they don't realize they're doing this thing. <laughs> and so, you know, there's, sta there's stages and steps to this whole thing. And it's, uh, I, I spend a lot of time coaching, coaching people on how to get through that. But, but when you are focused on the opportunity, understanding what you're really trying to achieve, then the obstacles in getting there will, you know, you'll get through them. But yep. if all you're focused on all the reasons why you can't do it, Oh, well, nobody's going to care about the business as much as I am. Nobody's as good a salesman as I am. Or nobody, you know, cares about the details. All the, you know, those are all the, those are all the, the crutches we give ourselves to justify. And, and, you know, that word can't is like a, I mean, the worst word I think anybody could possibly use, right? I tell my kids all the time, we do not say can't, we do not say cannot. If you want to be truthful, because there's no victims here, then just you replace it. You don't want it. to. We choose not to. Or choose not to. Right? Yep. I can't do this, Dad. No, that's not true. I choose not to. It's not a priority. So in my in my house, there's one four-letter word that's not allowed in the house, and it's can't. Yeah. I would rather hear every other four-letter word you can think of. Well, it's just a cop-out. It's a, it's, it's a bullshit word. Yeah. I mean, we are, we are, you and I are great examples. Of it. There's nothing special about either one of us, right? And we know thousands of other guys and girls just like us that you know, outside of them being amazing human beings, they didn't come with any you know, special gifts or talents that all of a sudden just made them amazing at business. It's it's this willingness to push hard and not use words like can't and cannot. It's like, well, let me see if I can. Mm -hmm. And I say this on stage all try. the time. I, I say this every time I'm on stage. I'm an ordinary guy who just figured out what extra stuff to do to get extraordinary results and everyone else can do the same thing. Yeah. It's just you've got to learn what that formula is. Yeah. And we get caught up in all of the things that stand in the way that make us feel like I don't have resources. I don't have millions of dollars, so I can't. And you hear the word yeah, can't. Yeah. I don't have the relationship, so I can't. Well, you know, it's funny. I use this example with people all the time. And it's super morbid, but it is extremely helpful because I think if anybody is listening to this and if, if, they, if they just thought for a moment about the most special person in their life, the, people, the person they care about the most, and if somehow, some way, you know, that person's life was on the line. In other words, Jeff, your family's life is on the line unless you can go and produce a half a million dollars in new sales or go sell a hundred new franchises in the next 30 days. You must get it done. Is there any question in your mind what would happen? No. And, and there never is, right? Anytime you put somebody in that kind of headspace, like, oh, no, no. Okay, so let's just be clear. Your whole argument where it's a lack of resources goes completely out the door because you, by your own admission, that you would do whatever it takes, you would figure it out. Okay, so if that's true under those circumstances, it's true always, by the way. Mm -hmm. So what it means is that if you have the ability to raise the stakes on yourself mentally to where you understand mentally it is not about resources or a lack of. It is about resourcefulness. Because under the right circumstances, you get real resourceful real quick. Yep. And when the priorities were changed, the stakes were raised, you get real resourceful real quick. Resource that you would not sit around and say, well, I don't know what to do. That would never happen, <laughs> right? You would do whatever it took. You move heaven and earth for the people we love. Hey, everybody. Looking for great insights? Entrepreneur.com's podcast network is the place for you. Check out podcasts like Problem Solvers and Smart Passive Income for smart advice. Hear true stories on how success happens, financial updates on dirty money, deep dives with Behind the Review, and food trends on restaurant influencers. And don't miss my new show. It's all at entrepreneur.com forward slash listen. Let's start our success journey today. 
Hey there, it's your host, Jeff Fenster, and I have something very exciting to share with you today. You know, here on The Jeff Fenster Show, we're all about growth, both personally and professionally. Speaking of growth, have you ever heard of Everbull? As the proud founder of Everbull, I can tell you firsthand that we're on a mission to help everyone unevolve, to live actively and eat stuff that's been around forever. Imagine stepping back into a world where everything you eat is fresh, nourishing, and packed with nutrients. At Everbowl, we've got you covered with our wide range of superfood bowls. But it's not just about the food. It's about a community of like-minded individuals who are determined to embrace a vibrant, fulfilling lifestyle. Join us on this journey as we redefine what it means to be healthy and active. So if you're ready to unevolve and be the best version of yourself, head over to everbowl.com and check out our menu. And so it's also I, never been easier with the internet and oh YouTube and Google and in, and social media where you can actually connect with people who do know what to do exactly in a way right. that we never could. 100%. There's nobody that is not accessible to you. So I do this with my oldest daughter when she tells me, I don't know how to do that. I say, open your phone, go to the internet, go to Google and ask it. Yeah. Then do it. Yeah. Simple. You can ask Google anything. All right, it's even worse now. I mean, see if you need, go, go to chat GPT. It'll give you literally step-by-step <laughs> -step directions to do just about anything. Like, Pretty I much. I mean, hey, how would you go and create a 10000 you know, create $10,000 in revenue in an online business in the next 30 days if you were a 16 and you lived in San Diego and you were, it will tell you, this is exactly what I would do. It'll at least give you a starting point. Right. It will at least give you a starting yeah, well, point. Well, that, and that, and that's the point, right, is that what happens the reason why people say those things, because I've been doing this a long time, right, is it gives them an excuse, right? And the reason why people won't go to Google or people why won't go to ChatGPT or won't go is because they're just not committed, right? Right? It's much easier to say it's too hard. It's much easier to play the victim card. It's much easier to say I'm not good enough or they're more pro. Well, discomfort is that block. Yeah, when you learn to embrace discomfort, when you learn to accept that the cold, a cold plunge or a hot sauna makes your body better, running until you can't breathe makes your cardiovascular system better, restricting eating bad food and eating things that maybe don't taste as good makes you have longer health, saving money and not binging on the first thing you want gives you wealth. I mean, there's a thing no about doubt. restriction and discomfort. Yep. And when you learn how to live in that, success is just right there for you. Yeah. On all things. Yeah. Well, because, uh, and again, you know, I said this earlier, you can count on your competition's mediocrity. The reality of it is, is just as sure as you and I are sitting there, 99% of the people around us wouldn't, just won't do. So think, think about how easy it is to be great. Mm -hmm. Right. Think about it, how easy it is to be in the 1% because you know, 99% can't even do the little things. And they won't. And they won't. They don't want to. Right. And so being great is literally a decision to get in the game and do the little things that others just simply won't and be consistent. Don't stop. And what I have found from my, and this is the whole purpose of my show, is when I talk to a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs and we'll call them entrepreneurs and people who are struggling, they, this is, I'll call this the, they're in the one and a half percent. Meaning they're better than 98 and a half because they actually want to do it. Mm -hmm. They just can't figure out what to do. And the reason I think they can't figure out what to do is because they're caught up in all of the smoke and mirrors of, of industry, right? Oh, I'm in real estate. I got to learn everything about real estate. Well, take a listen. If you, if you really listen to what you said, you mentioned a few qualities and you talked about getting a little bit better every day, which is Kaizen. You talked about taking immediate action. You talked about being curious and understanding innovation and going down to the going down to the building and looking at every transaction and doing these steps. And you mentioned also in your family you don't like the word can't. Have you do you have a written down or do you know a set of core values that you live by or your family lives by? Yeah, we have we have I mean we it's it, our core values. We we base it off of four questions, right? Why are we doing what we're doing, right? As a family, what do we stand for? What are the, the values we stand for? What do we stand against? And what do we believe in so passionately that we would be willing to die for it? And that has helped us to build a framework that keeps all of us, you know, very in tune with what we stand for and what we are trying to accomplish as a as a company and as a as a family, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I think that again, I mean, I think that's another great point is that something as simple 
is sitting down and answering those four questions is the new, you know, the genesis mm -hmm. of uh, core values, of principles of, because again, most will never do that. Yeah. And it's so simple. Well, I'll give you another great one is that if I ask you today, you know, we had a hundred people in this room, you know it and I know it, that if I asked a hundred people to clearly define for me what success looks like in their life, exactly where to do they want to be in three years, I, it would be 100% couldn't tell me. Mm -hmm. And ironically, I could tell you probably 90% of them would answer the question with, well, I know what I don't want, <laughs> right? And you wonder why, um, you know, as again, you and I both know that you get more of what you focus on when it's so readily available, the things you don't want in life, and you're thinking about those things and you're focused and they're so right at the tip of your tongue, whether you like it or not, you're you're perpetuating that in your life. But yet something that's so simple as what do you actually want, most mm -hmm. can't define. And, you know, as I was driving over here today, uh, I got in my car and the very first thing I did was, you know, put the address in the GPS. Um. If I'm going somewhere, I don't know where I'm, you know, I'm supposed to be driving to. I'm clearly want turn by turn directions. I want to have be successful in getting here on time. Um, and people do this hundreds of millions of times a day, over and over and over again. If you know, you and I are going to go grab groceries for our wives, for instance, um, and they ask us to pick up a few things, you know, if you're if you're like me, it's like, hey, can you send me a a picture of what it is you want or text me what you want or whatever the case it is. What I certainly don't do is just go walk up a bunch of random aisles and grab a few things and come back and dump it on the counter and say, hey, is any of this stuff what you're looking for? And I certainly didn't just say, hey, I'm going to drive up here to Carlsbad and I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll drive around until I, I see Everbowl on the outside of the building and hopefully I'll run into it, right? Sure. In either one of those cases, I would sound like a, an idiot. Um, but people do it all the time with their life. And it, you know, it's the most profound thing I think you can do in your life, in your business, is it's very natural in all these little things in our life that we start with a destination. Mm -hmm. And then we reverse engineer turn by turn directions to be successful, but we don't do it with our own lives. And if you just sit down and say, this is what I want, that's my destination, here's where I'm at. What are the turn-by-turn -turn directions I need to get there? Mm -hmm. And if I don't know those directions, who are the resources, the people, the podcasts that I can listen to, the books I can read to help me navigate that safely? Something as simple as that, people won't do. It's wild. It is wild. It's troubling. Yeah. Because there's a whole world of people that should be successful. And success is personal. Some people, it's financial success. Some people, it's, it's health and wellness success. Some people, it's relationships. Some people, it's they want to write a book. And they don't write the first sentence because they don't know. They, they look at the entirety of what's in front of them. They go, I can't climb Mount Everest. You know how you climb Mount Everest? You take one step. One step. And you take the next step. And if you don't know which path to go, call someone who's done it. And by the way, ain't nobody promised you that's going to be easy. Oh, no. But it's for sure that's the way it's done. It's one step at a time down a predefined path with somebody helping you. That is for sure the way it's done, but nobody's promising you it's going to be easy. So my football coach in high school changed my whole life with one line that he told me when I was complaining and I was a victim. And I said, he was mad at me because I fumbled the football. I was a small five foot seven kid, fast, but very little. And my offensive line was not very good. And I said, how do you expect me to run the ball with this offensive line? I can't. And he said, Jeff... You know what, how much of a bullshit answer that is? There is somebody who is your size with that offensive line, and they won. They figured it out. Mm -hmm. You can be the guy who figured it out, or you can be the guy who's sitting on the bench complaining that he couldn't do it when I find someone else who's going to run the ball and make it happen. And today, I think there's other quotes that are similar, which is somebody, uh, somebody won with the hand you have, or yep. you know, there's, there's versions of that. Yeah. But when he said that to me and then benched me, and I sat on the sideline, and I actually watched this guy Marcus Morris go in, and he ended up rushing for like 200 yards and three touchdowns and I became the backup running back for the rest of my high school career that day. So I had plenty of football games to sit on the sideline and think about that. That moment resonated with me for the rest of my life Amen. because he actually did win with it. Yep. And I was faster than him. He was yep. a little bigger than me, but I was faster than him. Yep. Why was he able to do it? Yep. Well, just touch it. It's all between your ears. It's all between your ears. If you, if you 
when you learn to harness the power of what is between your ears and it to give you the strength and the context and the framework that you need to just keep pushing, um, you know, guys like us get to win. Yeah. That's what happens. I mean, because I'm not, there's not one thing that's special about me. Uh, the only thing that, that is special about me is that I would argue that uh, I have uh, a unique set of life experiences, as we all do, that have helped to kind of make me appreciate time in a very unique way and make me appreciate um, and it's driven me to put the systems and things in place to allow me to get more of it, um, which has made me, you know, very passionate about not hustling, being a, being in business and not not being a, a hustler. Well, I can honestly tell you, and I've never said this on the show or about anyone that I haven't already openly told them, but you don't realize that you've been a mentor of mine since we met. Um, I've learned and crafted a lot of myself from you over the years. And I recommend, and I got to basically get free, uh, being your friend and working alongside you on projects, we've gotten to, I've gotten free coaching with you not realizing you were a coach, just watching how you've done things. And I couldn't stress enough to everyone listening, especially if you're young in your career or in your path, reach out to Kent, take his coaching if he offers it or he will offer it, learn from his experiences because if you follow what he's talking about right now, success is not maybe. It's a guarantee. You will be successful. You will find a path. Kent speaks on stages, and I've had the privilege of speaking before him and after him, and I always stay and listen. So when I launched this show, you were one of the first guests I had to make sure I got. Um, and Kent, I want to thank you for coming on the dude, show, man. dude. This my is my pleasure. We got to do this more often, of man. Of course. This, this has been, been great. Fun. Thank you, man. Oh, my pleasure, dude. Hey, everyone. First, I want to thank all of you for tuning in. And if you guys haven't heard about my new book, Relationship Bank Account, Click the link in the show notes or search the title on Amazon. This book is packed with all my secrets to success in both relationships and life. Make sure to pick up a copy and if the book helps you on your journey, let us know by leaving a review. I appreciate all of you and can't wait to see you on the next one.